So we've been, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, looking at all these fascinating stories. And we were, this morning, and originally the plan was to look at, and it said, pray this way. And you thought, what does that have to do with the flood? And then maybe you looked at the scripture reading, and you went, Matthew? What's that doing there? And you got all confused. I'm sure that happened to all of you, because I know that that's how you think. Um, you know what an audible is? You football fans know what an audible is. You know what it is to call an audible? So in football, football is a strategic sport. I didn't understand football for many years. I still don't understand it very well, to be honest. But I, I like to watch it occasionally. And, and football is a game of strategy. So the week prior to the game, teams are strategizing how can we best defeat our opponents. They spend all week thinking about plays and then coming up with those plays and then running those plays and practices over and over and over again so that on Sunday when they meet that other team, they are going to execute those plays and beat the opponents. That's the idea. And it's pretty cool. Um, but every now and then, an, an, a, a quarterback and his offensive line, they will line up against the defense and they'll see a defense maybe that they don't recognize this, the other team has been strategizing all week too, and so they've been coming up with different defensive uh, systems and stuff, and so they line up, and then all of a sudden the offense goes, wait a minute, we don't know how, this, what we were planning to do is not going to work right now, and so what we need to do is we need, the, the quarterback calls an audible, meaning he calls a play right there on the field, they change the play in an attempt to be more effective than they would have been if they had just gone with what they had planned. That's what an audible is all about. Well, this morning, guess what? We're calling an audible. We're calling an audible this morning uh, because we've been noticing that um, our engage groups, which meet uh, weekly after church, have, have been sputtering a little bit. So as we've talked to engage group leaders and as we've participated in our engage groups ourselves, and when I say we, I basically mean Mark, Megan, and me talking, you know, when we're supposed to be working. Um, we, we've, we've learned and heard that they're, they're struggling a little bit. So attendance has been a, a bit sporadic. Maybe even commitment to engage groups seems like it's waned a little bit this season. And there's probably a number of reasons for that. I think the 11 a.m. service probably has something to do with that. We're, we're all used to having church a little bit earlier, and then uh, having our engage groups and having more of the day left, and this is cutting into sort of that prime rest, visit people in our lives kind of part of the day of Sunday, and so that's, that's probably contributed to the problem. Frankly, part of the problem is because human beings are, um, are weak and fragile and lazy. <laughs> no offense, but... My father used to tell me that human beings are like water. Water always wants to run downhill according to the path of least resistance. And it's a beautiful description of me. I won't say it's a great description of you, but I will admit it's a great description of me. I think that I, if I have a reason to not do something because I kind of don't feel like it, I... I will use that. I will clamp onto that reason and then I won't do it. But that's not the only reason. Perhaps 
one of the reasons that engaged groups have struggled a little bit is because they haven't been super effective. And that's not anybody's fault. It's not the leader's fault. It's not the participant's fault. Potentially, it's the structure's fault. So typically, our engaged groups have been, you know, time of reflecting on the sermon, time of fellowship, and then a time of prayer. And I think what's happened is, is we've made those engaged groups a little bit too complicated so that the pressure leaders have to get through the discussion part short circuits two of the other important aspects of engaged groups, which is fellowship and prayer. And so we're calling an audible. The intention is, is that we would streamline our engage groups uh, to, to focus them a little bit more and hopefully make them a little bit more effective. We're going to focus the attention of the purposes of engage groups on two particular things. Fellowship, meaning we want, we believe that God put human beings in community because he created us to be in community. But we live in a day and age, and I, I'll... I'm going to really try hard to not go off too badly, but I'm going off for a second here. We live in a day and age where virtually everything is stacked against building meaningful face-to-face community. The devil has figured out how to tear down the church by making us so busy that we don't have time to spend with one another and by providing all kinds of virtual community for us that serves essentially, we think, the role of community, but is actually false community. So virtual community, I'm talking about having lots of Facebook friends. I'm talking about Snapchatting all afternoon. I'm talking about following people on Twitter and Instagram. And we feel like we're connected to uh, other people through those means, but we, not, we aren't actually. And so what happens is, is, is through these things, we become so busy and we become so uh, uh, complicated in our lives that we don't really have the kind of time necessary or we feel we don't have the kind of time necessary to build deep, meaningful community within a small group of people. But if you read the New Testament, that is the church. You cannot practice your faith alone. You cannot make it through this life and this world holding on to Jesus Christ by yourself. You will white-knuckle it for a while. You will hold on by your fingertips for a while, but you will eventually get swept away by the culture in which you live. You desperately, desperately need other people, but things in your own heart because you're like water, and things in the culture, because it's like a tidal wave, ooh, that's good, a tidal wave pushing you who are like water, ooh, that's really good. Um, because of these things, you, you have to double down to resist the, the, the easy road of isolation for the sake of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so engaged groups need to double down on this fellowship building aspect. That's the first thing. The other thing is, engaged groups are going to focus on a structured time of prayer. They're supposed to end with prayer every week, but there are times where we feel rushed and stuff, so we kind of rush through the prayer to get on with the rest of our day. We need to dial back and, and make prayer a priority. And in order to do that, we need to be taught and we need to be structured in our prayer. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to end our engage groups with a structured time of prayer. All engage groups are going to be given passages of the Bible to pray through. They're going to be given guides to help you do it, especially for those of us who find that intimidating. We don't know what to say and we don't know how to do it and we don't want to admit that, you know, we've been a Christian forever, but we've never really figured out how to pray, which is actually a pretty common thing even though we don't want to admit that to each other because it's embarrassing, and I get that. I feel that. I, I totally feel that. But we need, to, we need to learn. So engage group leaders have been trained in this, and Mark is going to produce a prayer guide every week, and we are going to commit to spending a couple, not a couple hours, a number of minutes together in prayer in our engage groups. And I, 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 there's a lot of reasons why this is really, really good, but I'm not going, you can talk about why this is really good in your engage group with your with your leaders i'm not going to bring that up here and before we get so now you're like when are we going to get to the sermon you're already in it but we before we get to the text two more introductory points why all this emphasis on prayer can you look at the front of your bulletin for a minute please there's a long quote there that i want to read to you The life of the church is the highest life, and its office is to pray. Its prayer life is the highest life, the most fragrant, the most conspicuous. When God's house on earth is a house of prayer, then God's house in heaven is busy and powerful in its plans and movements. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. God said this in Isaiah 56. Then his earthly armies are clothed with the triumphs and spoils of victory and his enemies are defeated on every hand. The very life and prosperity of God's cause, even its very existence, depends on prayer and the advance and triumph of his cause depends on one thing that we ask of him. Now this is a profound truth. God's kingdom, and remember, God is the sovereign God. God is the holy God. God is the, the God who has absolutely no, no challengers to his throne. There is nobody that he is afraid of trying to usurp his authority or anything like that. This is a God who has absolute, total, complete control over everything in the entire universe. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stand in his way. He alone is God. This God has chosen in the mystery that I frankly do not understand, but this is the way it is. He has chosen to make his kingdom run on our prayers. Wow. He has chosen to invite us into his redemptive plan by calling us to pray. Wow. This church exists because we long to see God transform our lives, transform our families, transform our neighborhoods, transform this town, Dundas, transform the city of Hamilton, and transform the world, okay? And God says, that begins with prayer. So, that's why the emphasis on prayer. Second of all, I'm, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you 
those who are regular attendees of Grace Valley, and those of you who are visiting, you're like, you're getting this, you know, if you, what am I, you can listen to. I want to call you to recommit to your engage groups. Recommit to your engage groups. Our, prioritize your engage groups. When you think about your Sunday, rather than see church and engage group as something that kind of fits around the other things you have to go on in your life, you make church and engage groups the thing that other things fits around in your life. And I know, okay, that can be inconvenient. That can be very inconvenient. Perhaps it's inconvenient for you, sure. Does it cramp your style? Absolutely it cramps your style. But here's the thing. Rarely, very rarely, do good things come to us through ease. Very, very rarely do we grow through ease. It's through exercising the discipline. It's through working the muscles and feeling the pain and making the sacrifices that we are strengthened. I mean, those of you who run, we got a lot of runners in this church. Those of you who run, you get up some mornings and the last thing you want to do is go for your run. But you go anyway. Why? Because you also have experienced the runner's high. And you're chasing the high. And you know the high is there. You don't get it every time you run, but sometimes it shows up and it's enough to keep you running the next time. And so, I'm calling you, we're calling you, to recommit to this. Remember, people are like water, and so we have to discipline ourselves. It's fascinating that the disciples, okay, they spend all this time with Jesus Christ, and in Luke chapter 11, it says that they go to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. We need to be taught, Lord, Teach us how. They don't ever come to Jesus and say, teach us how to preach. Can you teach us how to heal? Can you teach us how to cast out demons? No, no, no. They come to him and they say, teach us how to pray. And that's because prayer is not easy. It's a discipline. It takes work. And we got to practice it. And in engage groups, Lord willing, we're going to practice it. All right. Those are the introductory remarks. We're going to get to our text now, and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to look at verses 9 through 13. Now, there's a big context in which the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6, but we are not going to look at the context. We are just going to look at the prayer, okay? And we're going to read it together first, and then we're going to unpack it. This is God's Word. From the lips of Jesus Christ, beginning at verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So far the reading of God's word. And if you want to follow along, pray then like this, he says. What's interesting is, is that Jesus is not saying, here's an idea for you. You guys are struggling to pray, here's a way of praying. Give this a try. 
There's lots of different models of prayer, and there's tr- that's true, there are some models of prayer, but it's significant that Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. Now, Jesus is not giving these words as the exact words of prayer that he wants his disciples to pray. The Lord's Prayer is a good prayer to pray. It's a good prayer to memorize, absolutely, but Jesus is not saying, when you pray, every time you pray, here are the words I want you to use. It's not a mantra, Okay. It's in Luke chapter 11 when the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And he tells them, it's a little bit different than what we have here in Matthew chapter 6. And the reason is, is because what Jesus is giving is actually a pattern for prayer for them to follow. Not the exact words, but the pattern. See, there's four movements to this prayer. And those movements have been described in all kinds of different ways. We're going to follow the description by a guy named Daniel Henderson who says that there's four things that we need to know about prayer and how to pray from the Lord's Prayer. We need to learn to pray upward, downward, inward, outward. You're probably familiar with this. This is a little different. (laughs) It's this, okay? Upward, downward, inward, outward. And we're going to look at that pattern together this morning so that we can practice it in our engage groups later today. First of all, we are called to pray upward. The first part of the prayer is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is adoration. This is praise. This is glorifying God. Okay? This is reverence. And the first thing we need to do when we pray is we need to orient ourselves properly by revering God. You'll notice that, that really it's not asking anything of God at all. It's, it's, it's giving God his due. It's recognizing God's character. It's understanding who God is. What Jesus is saying here is, is the first thing we need to do when we pray. And you can do this in your private prayer at home, by the way. And you probably should do this in your private prayer at home as well. The first thing we need to do is we need to plunge ourselves into God's character. Into his greatness. Into his glory. The infinite God of the universe. Remember when I went, when I went all berserk and I said, he's the sovereign God who controls all things. And da, 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 da. He is all that. And here it says that he's our father. And that's not just a metaphor, Okay. It's not just a metaphor. It's not like Jesus is, or God is kind of like a father. No, no, no. It's saying that Jesus actually is our father. He's our father in the sense that he created us, but he's our father even more so in the sense that he redeemed us through his son and made us his adopted children. We are actually his children by adoption. Now, We have to start our prayers by telling ourselves that and telling God that. Now, this is hard, okay? (laughs) This is hard to do. It's hard to do it for very long, at least, right? It's, oh, praise you because you're glorious and awesome. Now, gimme, 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 right? Because we are kind of self-absorbed. And so the way around this, the way to to really sink ourselves into this first part of prayer is, is to let God start the conversation. One of the things Daniel Henderson says is that, that whoever starts a conversation guides the conversation. And you know what? 
I was thinking about this. It is so true. I've got a group of friends that gets together every six weeks to two months to three months or whatever, you know. And we've got one, one member of that group of friends who just always has something interesting to talk about. And so they start the conversation, and the whole night doesn't revolve around them, but revolves around whatever they're bringing up. The rest of us just like water. <laughs> just follow along, okay? So who starts the conversation guides the conversation. And so, what we will do is, is we will take a portion of scripture every week. As I said, Mark will prepare a a prayer guide for us. And we will pray through that. And the first question we'll ask is, what is God telling us about himself in this passage? That's upward prayer. It starts with an open Bible. It starts with worship. And here's the challenge. Don't ask God for anything for the first 10 to 15 minutes of your prayer. And you're like, what? That is so long. Okay? We're going to run out of things to say. That may be true, but you know why that's true? The biggest problem we have, friends, is that we don't really know God. We don't. Not deeply, not intimately, not passionately. You know when, a, when, a, when two people meet and they have their first date and they sit down and it's awkward, right? It's clunky. It's like, hey, hi, so you're cute. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so tell me about yourself. Well, I don't know. I'm not that interesting. I like cars and sports It takes a while, right? But as you continue to talk and as you continue to get to know one another, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And so two things. We need to work at it. And we need God to guide us through it. And so when there's dead silence and you're waiting for that timer to go off, because we're going to encourage our leaders to actually use timers and make us sit there. And it's dead silent and you're totally awkward and you're like, I never want to go to an engage group again. I'm leaving. This is so weird. The worst thing in the world in a Bible study or in a a small group is silence, right? You gotta push through it, people. Push through it. Remember the discipline. This is like the runner getting the cramp at mile four or whatever. And continue to reflect on the passage that God gives you. So that's the first thing. But the other thing is this, and this is something that those of us who have been in prayer groups for a long time begin to notice if we're attentive to it. When you pray with a number of different people, one of the beautiful things is, is that you get other people's perspectives on God and it fills out your own. In men's prayer, I can't wait for some of the guys to open their mouths because they just experience God in a slightly different way, in a slightly different aspect. They're focusing on a slightly different part of his character that that maybe I haven't noticed before or it hasn't been very deep for me, and it enriches my own understanding of God. So, So you lean on one another when you pray this way together. Okay. Daniel Henderson says, look, we have a tendency to seek God's hand and not his face. And if you always seek his hand, you may miss his face. Sometimes people say, you know, I've tried praying. I tried praying. I don't get anything out of it. What are you trying to get out of it? What are you actually seeking? 
if we're first seeking God himself as the Lord, as Jesus calls us to in our prayer time, to seek him himself, if we seek his face, he will be, he will be happy to open his hand to us as well. But you never get the joy of experiencing his face, the beatific vision, that's what the old theologians used to call it, the experience of God's love and his majesty and his beauty poured out into your heart. You don't experience that if you're just constantly saying, huh, what's in your hand, what's in your hand, what's in your hand? Sorry, Nathan, didn't mean to freak you out. So that's the first one. We're going to pray upward. And then we're going to pray downward. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is the response, okay? We first ask God, what are you telling me about you? And then we ask God, what are you telling me about me? This is where we surrender ourselves. We confess our sin. We admit our weakness and we give up power. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. We give up the reins. You see, our biggest need from God, actually, is that he remind us that he is God and we are not. In your functional life, in my functional life, we don't believe that. That's why we still feel guilty Because we're trying to make things right. We're trying to make God happy with us. We're trying to get rid of that sense of failure by working really hard at it. Or or that's why we're, we're, we're struggling with anger. Because we think that we know how things should be. And we know what people deserve and what is right and what is wrong. And we look around us and we say, well, people aren't getting what they deserve. And that makes me angry. And we want to be God. We want to be the judge. This is why we we feel anxious because we look at uh, our lives and we say to ourselves, well, hokey doodle, man. I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff that's got to happen. And if it doesn't happen, if things don't go the way they should go, then it's going to be a disaster as though we know better than God how things ought to be. And so we move to response. And we do this because God needs to show us what we truly need. We're not ready to ask anything of him until we've been able to surrender completely to him. Listen, you and I, if we don't have a proper view of God and submit to that proper view of God, we will always want to tell God what it is we need. But when he is in his proper place in our lives and we are in our proper place in our lives, Then all of a sudden, he reveals to us what it is we really need. And then we can begin to ask. And so the third movement, we've gone up, we've gone down. The third movement is to go in. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive our debts as we also have requests of resources, that's bread, And as we pray together, we'll discover, and as we're fellowshipping together, we'll discover what each other's resource needs are, okay? I talked to a guy yesterday who owns a business. He needs employees. Anybody here interested in framing? I know someone who's looking for workers. But that's something you can pray for because you're in relationship with each other. That's a resource need. And you'll be able to discuss those together and then pray for them together. But then there's also the relationship needs. This is what life is all about. 
how do I get along with others in this world? Or how do people in my life get along with others in this world? And basically, our needs are of one type or the other. They're a resource need or a relationship need. And we intercede for each other. We lift each other up, asking for these things boldly, openly, and confidently. Because we've been oriented to how amazing God is in the first part of our prayer. See? Ask yourself this. Like, honestly, be honest, as honest as you can with yourself. How confidently and fervently and expectantly do you actually make your request to God? I know that that's a subjective question and, and there'll always be some doubts in your heart. But do you go into your prayers kind of, it's more like throwing up a bone? You know, it's kind of like a Hail Mary. Well, I'm chucking it up there. Maybe God will catch it. Another football uh, analogy for you. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generally to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now you hear that and you think, well, that's my problem. Is that I'm double-minded and, and I'm not very strong and I'm, I'm a doubter. Well, the way you deal with that is not by sucking it up and saying, don't doubt, don't doubt, don't doubt. It's going back to the beginning of the prayer. It's going back to reverence. It's going back to worship. It's going back to reminding God and yourself how unbelievably transcendently power and glorious he is. That's what cures your doubt. Not looking at you. And then you can pray with confidence because of who he is. You know, I remember, and you can be relentless, okay? Relentless about this. What do I mean by that? I remember a couple, a few years ago, uh, when Jessica and I were starting Grace Valley, then we were attending New City Church, and we were in a small group, there, similar to what we do, and in a time of prayer, we had a foster child that was going back to uh, her mother, and we had reservations about it, as we often do, and so Jessica shared with all the women in the group that this was a prayer request that she had, and the first lady prayed, and she prayed for that, and she prayed for this little girl, and she prayed for us. And typically in a prayer group, you go, oh, rats, like they took my thunder. Now what am I going to pray about? That's not what happened. Second lady prayed for the same thing. Not verbatim. Same request, though. Relentless, fervent. Third lady, her turn to pray. I lift up this little girl too, God, and I pray for her, and I ask that you would do an amazing thing in her life and the life of her mom, and please be with Paul and Jessica as they have to go through the loss and the anxiety of letting this girl go. Fourth lady, same thing. Everybody prayed for this one thing. By the end of it, Jessica walked out of there with like, she felt bulletproof. She felt lifted up like she was riding on the wings of eagles. Because we were, she was, she was lifted literally on the prayers of the saints. By the way, that story ended great. From what we know, she's doing fine. Final movement. One more. 
Oh, that's just, oh, let me just get to the point of that, what I just said. The point is, repeat, repeat, repeat. Hit the repeat button. If it's a big request, everybody pray it. Don't feel like somebody stole your thunder. Go to God. Be like, be like that woman who went to the unjust judge and was banging on the door. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. The judge finally said, well, just to get rid of you, here. Now, it's not to tell you that that's what God is like, an unjust judge who wants to get rid of us. It's to tell you that you should never give up in your prayer, even in the moment. Final movement is the outward movement. So we've gone up, we've gone down, we've gone in, now we go out. Lead us not in temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This, Henderson calls this praying for readiness. It's asking God now from the passage, as you look at the passage, what are you calling me to believe? What are you calling me to hold on to? See, there's an urgency in this last line that I think, uh, and, and Mark pointed this out when he talked to, the, talked to us as engaged group leaders, Westerners miss the, the spiritual warfare component to this prayer. We are so horizontal, and we are so what we are so fixated on what we can see with our eyes. But the New Testament is constantly saying that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers and the spiritual forces in this dark realm. There is someone named Satan who is out there like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And you know who he wants to devour? You! And so the last part of our prayer is a call to call upon God to provide power and protection as we go out into the battle that is our home. And if you have kids, you know your home's a battleground. Not between you and your kids, but between the spirits that are attacking us and our families. The battle that's in your home, the battle that's in your job, the battle that's in your school. Jesus says, listen, you need to call on my Father to arm you for the battle, for power and for protection and for resources. And Scripture says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And how awesome would it be for you, some of, some of your you engage groups, you do like what ours does. So we have a WhatsApp group on our phone. Talk to a techie about what that's about. We have a WhatsApp group on our phone. And so you, you text the, the whole group something that's going on throughout the week. And if you have a prayer request, how wonderful would it be for everybody in your group to be centered, to be gathering, to be marshalling themselves around a shared passage of Scripture that we are all meditating on and bringing to God as we bring one another's requests to Him. What a powerful thing that would be. Okay, there it is. The fourfold pattern that we are going to, Lord willing, really make habitual in our lives. Go and do it. Amen. Let's pray. No. No. You know. You know. You know, friends, we cannot stop there. If we stop there, we are not gospel-driven, gospel-empowered people because you will all just walk out of here. After everything I just said, you will all go, yeah, that's awesome. And then by the time you get to your engagement, you're like, eh, I don't know. Because you're water. Listen, how are we going to do this? It's not easy. It's not natural. How are we going to practice this? It's going to be hard. How will we do it? 
here's how we're going to do it, to surrender to God, to truly trust our Father, to really know what he is like and to enter into this time with him in this way, we have to remember that Jesus Christ, who taught this prayer at the end of his life, he actually prayed it. He didn't just tell us how to do it, he did it. Jesus practiced what he preached because as he was facing his death, he prayed this prayer. Listen, every other religion in the world says, pray to God because he's God and you're not. And that's true. But Christianity comes along and says, look, that's all true, but the God who is God and you are not, that God, he actually became weak like us in Jesus Christ. He came into this world and he divested himself of his glory and of his power so that he could walk beside us and he had to pray the same way that you and I do. Jesus Christ was in the garden before he went to the cross and while he was there, he said, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. If there's any other way, please let us do that instead. But then he also said, thy will be done. How are you going to surrender and be able to say, Father, your will be done? By realizing that he did it first for you. He did it first for you. He knows what it's like. To abandon yourself and surrender yourself completely to the will of the Father. He's not calling us to do anything he hasn't done first for us. And that's where the power comes. Now, amen, let us pray. Father, oh, teach us to be a praying people, we ask, oh God. Teach us to be a praying people. Teach us to set aside our own desires, and to pursue your will. Well, how are we going to know that will? We're going to study your word, and we're going to come to you in prayer. Make us that kind of people we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.